Well, we'd invite Vic Hildebrand is going to come and share the word with us. Uh, Vic and Ruth Ann are just precious, precious people. Vic serves uh, sort of as a, a consulting role with us as elders here. And one of the things he said is it, he really, it, they, they've just moved back from Virginia to Indiana. And by the grace of God, I don't know how we got so lucky that God has paired us with this guy. It's pretty amazing. Uh, he says, I, I want to come and just be an uncle to the congregation there. Uh, not necessarily preach, not necessarily be the guy who's up front. I just want to come and be a part uh, when they're in this area just to be able to love and encourage. And they were going to be here. And I said, you know, Vic, there's a good chance that we have several people who've maybe never heard you speak. They, they don't really know who this uncle is who is among us. And so we wanted to just invite him to share God's word with us this morning. So let, wouldn't you just join me as we pray for him? God, again, I thank you that your gospel is not limited by our age. And so as we pray for these kids, fill their hearts with the passion of Jesus and the fire of the Holy Spirit to share your gospel. Lord, we pray the same thing for this young man standing next to me. God, fill his heart again with the passion of the Holy Spirit. God, explode in him the truth of the gospel to share with us. We bless him and release him in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning to each one of you. It is a joy for us to be here. And um, wow, I, uh, I actually called Matt some weeks ago and checked to make sure that this was the weekend to pray for Harold and Janice. And I said, all these years that they've been going out, I've been praying for them at a distance. And I said, I want to be here when that happens. And so he said, great. And when you're coming, why don't you preach as well? Anyway, it's a, it's a joy for me to be able to uh, participate with you. And uh, I have a message that uh, God has been working in me for a number of months. Uh, I, I have never preached on this uh, kind of a topic before. I told uh, Jason, I said, I'm going to be doing more meddling this morning than I have ever done, I think. Uh, but nevertheless, my, my, my subject, my title is how to get along with everybody. So you can kind of write that down. In fact, I encourage you to take your notes. You've got one of those uh, sheets that has notes. You can write some notes down. You can also get to your Bibles. I've got a bunch of Bible references that I will be quoting because uh, if I'm going to meddle, at least I want to be biblical about it, all right? So uh, uh, you're welcome to check all of that out as well. How to get along with everybody. And, and, I, and I, it's really kind of a joke because uh, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a little bit bigger than what I can, I can handle. Uh, in fact, <laughs> as I was uh, preparing myself for this morning, I thought I should probably let you know that the man who's going to speak this message here, I got kicked out of church at least twice. <laughs> I got thrown out of high school by a uh, high school teacher, and uh, I have, uh, I've caused enough trouble uh, in this world that I was uh, one of the uh, leading uh, students to get spanked in school. In those days, spankings were legal and possible, and uh, there's only one other guy in the school who got spanked more often than I did, and I'm not going to tell you his name, but uh, uh, I, I'm, I'm saying all of that to you to let you know that I really believe what I'm going to preach about this morning, and, and, and I learned it the hard way. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I, I, I thought I should say how to get along with almost everybody. It might be a little bit safer, uh, but let me just begin by going to Romans 14 and reading verse 1. It tells us here, uh, receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes 
over doubtful things. All right? We're going to talk a little bit about this morning about things that are not really essential to the faith, but we sometimes major on them and make big issues out of, out of things. And uh, what I want to talk about is how Christians should learn to get along with each other. Um, first of all, getting along with your, within your own family, how to get along with your mom and dad, your brothers and sisters, how to get along in your church family. That's kind of the, the first uh, circle because Jesus talks about the fact that you can say, I love God but don't love your brother. Uh, this not, doesn't work very well. If you, if you can't get it going in your own little circle, it's not a very good message. And so the idea is getting along with people that you actually know. Now, it's also good to recognize that, that we want to get along with people not only in our own family, in our own local church, but also honestly with the church family. The church family of people in uh, various countries of the world, nationalities and styles and cultures and so on, um, when you've done a little bit of traveling, as Harold and Janice have, and, and many of you also have, I'm sure, uh, there comes a time when you realize, you know what, they're not all like we are. They don't all have the same preferences that we have. They do some things a little differently. And uh, one of the issues that has uh, divided the body of Christ for years um, is how to baptize people. And, and uh, you know, some want to do it this way, some want to do it that way. And I, and I have what I think is the most biblically sound way to do it, and I prefer to do it that way. However, uh, I, have, I have had to uh, adjust my soul a little bit to say, okay, um, there's a verse that I'm going to get to a little bit later about how God actually sees some of it and how he's going to help us out, all right? So first of all, uh, receiving those who are uh, weak and those who don't think quite like we are, uh, like we do, don't be into arguing with them, all right? That's kind of going to be my last point. I'm going to get back to arguing in about an hour and a half or so, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap that all up. Uh, but it starts off with, hey, when you're talking to different people, it's not all about arguing. That's not where we want to come out. Now, there's another verse in Romans chapter um, 12, I think it is, and uh, verse um, 18. It says, uh, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's my little caveat there. So, you know, you get the first one that I'm telling you, getting along with everybody, and then as much as, as lies in you, live peaceably with everyone. That's actually instruction in the Word of God, all right? Now, uh, let me give you a bit of uh, introductory comments. First of all, I want to say that it was worth the drive from Indianapolis to be here to hear Harold and Janice sing that song. And I captured it on my phone. I'm going to listen to it again and again. I love the song, first of all. I knew the song. But God has given them such a precious heart when they sing you know, they, they let you, they actually make you believe that they believe what they're singing. And that's a good thing. Uh, anyway, it, it, was, it was worth it. Uh, secondly, it was, it was special and precious just to, to see Matt and Jason up here doing what they're doing. And, and it's completely true. I, I met with these guys and, and said, look, we're moving to Indiana, and, and I want to I ask you, I would like to be adopted as an uncle. Uh, an uncle doesn't live in the family, but he visits, and he's kind of like family when he's there, but he's not always around. We're going to live in Indianapolis, but we need a home base of people that know who we are, that actually believe in us, who will support us and encourage us. And I said, I'm not looking for anything other than just a, a friendship relationship in, in our ongoing work. And we're glad to tell you that we're no longer homeless. We actually have an address in Westfield, just in the northern suburb of Indianapolis. We live in a house that we haven't fully unboxed our stuff yet, but we're there. 
And we're glad we're going to go back there again this afternoon and, and uh, be in our own beds and so on. Although I'll tell you what, Mike and Kathy have a very nice bed that we enjoyed last night. So it's not like God can't do that. Uh, I also said earlier that I've wanted to be here to help pray for Harold and Janice as they go out. What a joy it is to participate in that. And I live and breathe missions, uh, and I have been in that since 1955, and, and that's been my passion, my zeal, my goal. But yesterday I was arrested. I was absolutely arrested, not by the police, but by the Holy Spirit. I attended the, the memorial service for a very, very dear friend, Wes Smith, who passed away a few weeks ago, and his five daughters and their family was close friends with our family. And, and, and anyway, they let, us, let me know that this is going to happen, so I was able to be there for those of you who knew Wes Smith, have ever attended any of his crusade meetings, an evangelist that God used mightily, there are two things about Wes that just were very, very impacting, and the people that were there in Winona Lake yesterday talking about it shared these stories about how Wes's lifestyle was, first of all, radical. That's the, everybody that ever knew him realized Wes was a radical kind of a guy. He, he, he just decided, I'm going to follow Jesus. He had the experience of being on a, in, a, in, a, in a back alley in Flint, Michigan, which is not the nicest place to be, and have a man with a gun come up to him and threaten to kill him. And so uh, he's had it happen to him a couple times. He had to face the fact, okay, you know what? I could die over this thing. Uh, he had a guy bust into a church, actually, planned to shoot, shoot him, and he was on the pulpit. Uh, and, and so there's something that you do when you, when you realize, you know what? My life could end here. Uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to change my ways, or, or what am I, what am I going to do? The, the songs we were singing and the testimony that we were hearing from some of the songs, and then Jessica's word as well, about needy people. There are, there are places in this world where the only thing that, they, that will ever work for them is radical Christianity. And we, in our setting, live such a casual lifestyle that it's almost like that's a different world. But I'm here to tell you right now that, that what God is calling us to is really a radical Christianity. And, and Wes embodied it in such a way that as I was hearing the testimony of people that had met him back in the 60s, uh, I, I, was, I was astounded, and I thought, you know what? I need to flat out get to the altar and recommit myself to radically following Jesus Christ. That was kind of the, the upshot of the whole story there. And the other one was Wes's whole ministry was simply the Bible and simple. The Bible and simple, that's it. He died uh, in his house, glasses on, Bible opened in front of him, and he walked in the room, and he had died. Um, and and his, his whole manner of, of following the Scriptures and teaching it simply. Here's a story, which, which in fact, I shared yesterday as my little testimonial of, of Wes. Back in Michigan, he was, he was uh, I, I think, living just north of Lansing for a short period of time, and whatever it was, uh, and he, he actually had an office. I don't know how he, why, why he had an office because that's not what evangelists do, but he had, I think he had an office. Some guy, and I think he was a professor, came to see him because his, his life was a wreck and he needed help and he needed, needed some way to find, find uh, answers. Came to West. West shared with him the very simple gospel of Jesus Christ, how to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, to, to get forgiveness of sins and peace in your heart and, and, and the answer to your need. The man was said, I am willing. And they prayed a simple prayer calling on the name of the Lord. And the, I, I'm going to call him professor because I think that's what he was. And the man, when the prayer was done, he said, I don't think it worked. And Wes said, well, that's all I've got. He didn't try to 
talk him into, you know, why this should work. He just said, well, if, if calling on Jesus doesn't work, that's I, all I've got. And, and the man left, sort of half bewildered. A couple of days later, Wes was in his office, got a phone call, and when Wes answered the phone, the man on the other side, the, the, the response on the other side was, it worked! <laughs> anyway, the, the beauty of the simplicity of Jesus Christ, and you know, I'm, I'm 73 years of age, and I plan to preach for at least about 10 or 15 more years, and then I'm going to slow down. But until then, I want to be, live radically for Jesus, and I want to keep it simple. The gospel of Jesus Christ is really what it's all about. Now, let me, let me add to my little comment here. We are living in a very dangerous time in the United States, and you all know it. This is not news to us. What we've been hearing on the... I, I was asking some, Mike and Pat, Kathy a little bit about the news, you know, what's been going on in the world, and, and, and the news in this country is that the Supreme Court said that homosexuality is great, that you can have, you know, gay marriages and so on. And that was the big thing all, all around us here. And I want to just comment on that. Friends, in this country, there are laws that have not been removed yet that adultery was a crime. Massachusetts had that law. A number of other states had that law as well. There was a time when our culture and our laws favored Christianity and the values and the morals that we believe in. That day is no longer here. The concept of Laws favoring Christianity in this land are, are pretty scarce. Anybody comes anywhere close to it, and they'll call him Governor Pence. Uh, anybody that comes close to trying to actually make something legal that is based on sound Christian values and principles, they'll, they'll just uh, run completely roughshod over it and, and, and throw the most scathing remarks after that. How to live in a culture and a society that is hostile to Christianity is, is what we're moving into, all right? And so we actually need to have a, have a bit of a, a handle on how do we live in a culture and a land that really doesn't back our, our hearts and our principles and values. And I don't have to tell you that much of the Christianity of the world is lived in places other than that. We, we just... We, we sort of still think, come on, it's a Christian nation. And unfortunately, uh, the, the, the kind of leaders that are being voted into in this country are being, being brought in with people with open eyes saying, yes, I want that. I want to have legalized opportunity to live my sinful lifestyle the way I want to. Don't anybody try to correct me on it. It's a very sad state of affairs. Now, I say that partly because I think that's important for us to, to determine, okay, how will we live when it's not comfortably kosher everywhere around? I also want to introduce to you a concept uh, about uh, two and a half months ago when I was in Virginia, my last Sunday in a church service, I gave a prophecy, and I want to share with you the essence of the prophetic word. I really believe this is what God spoke to my heart. I share it as a prophetic word. You can say, okay, judge prophecy, do what you're going to do with it. The word of the Lord came to me and said, calamity will hit the United States. When we had our terrorist attack, the 9-11 event that happened, uh, there will be events that catastrophic and worse happening in this land. They will be coming, and the calamities that are coming are not Armageddon. It's the judgment of God, consequences for 
a land that has turned its back on God. There are consequences for deliberately and, and, and clearly turning your back on God. These are consequences. However, it is also the mercy of God because when God sends consequential judgments, it is the call of God for people to repent and turn to him. God has many people in this land, and he has an interest in the hearts of what's going on in the United States. And God is able to know exactly how to turn the right kind of switches on to bring the kind of judgments that need to come for God's mercy to be extended for people to have an opportunity to cry out to God. Now, uh, that is the word that I felt like God was giving me, and I share it with you because I think that is really uh, the word of the Lord. Uh, I was a pastor in Virginia at the time of 9-11, and I was part of the leadership in our community as people were rallying to church and calling on God when those events happened. Uh, I participated in it, and I saw some of what was going on in this country. And I believe that there are lots of uh, dried-up wells of Christianity in this nation that people have just kind of allowed to be there, and I believe that God is not pleased with our casualness, and he's going to allow things to happen to give us an opportunity to say, let's reach into the depth of things that we really do believe and treasure in order that God's name would be honored. Having said that, uh, let, me, let me go on into what I want to share with you, and uh, I think this is part of learning how to live in the times that we're living in, um, and uh, I, I thought of a, a, a concept that I should share with you. Uh, I like to hear people preaching messages that I agree with. And, and so I, I thought to myself, you know what? Maybe what I'm going to preach to you, you all agree with, and so you can feel free to say amen. I've got plenty of notes. I'll know where I'm going. I won't get lost. So you pr go ahead and do that if you choose to. And secondly, if you say, you know what? i got a cousin that should have been here. You can elbow your husband or somebody and say, they should have been here. They should have heard this. Uh, this message may be for others, you know. Because you'll say, I already know this. So go right ahead, take it in for the benefit of your cousins and uncles and brothers that might need this. I just spent uh, 12 years in the Kempsville Presbyterian Church, part of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. Uh, that's a new denomination that was formed in about 1979 or so uh, with a vision of going back to the scriptures and having the soundness of values and teaching the gospel and so on. And uh, I thoroughly appreciated that. Uh, the, the motto of the EPC denomination is a very simple one. I've got a sticker on it on my, on my gas tank in my car. Uh, and, uh, and it says, unity in essentials, liberty in non-essentials, and charity in all. And the EPC didn't invent that phrase. That actually came in, in 1885. Somebody coined that phrase, and maybe he stole it from somebody else. I don't know. But all I'm saying is we didn't start that little phrase. But the concept is very simple. Unity in essentials. We would like very much as Christians that when it comes to the essentials that we would be on the same page. And I read the essentials that they decided, well, what are the essentials then? And I thought to myself, wow, that is the most beautiful statement of faith I've ever read anywhere. Very simple. It doesn't add lots and lots of little extra details. It's just got the core essence stuff that you think. Everybody that would believe that, you say, yep, that, that's got to be a Christian. And if for any reason you wouldn't, dis, wouldn't fully agree with that, there's something questioned about it. I'm not sure what, what you got. So that's a very important part. Today, I'm actually going to be speaking about 
the non-essentials in which we would encourage liberty. There are lots of things that the Bible doesn't directly forbid and it doesn't directly command. All right? So we're talking about areas where there seems to be some, some nebulousness, and that's why I said I'm going to be meddling. I'm going to be talking about some things uh, that, that uh, people have made a big deal out of it. I'm saying, you know what, guys? That's probably not the right way to go about it. Just, just, just relax a little bit. Just, just cool your jets and, and don't get too, uh, too uh, steamed up over matters. All right. Uh, it tells us in the Word of God in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for instruction and, and it's profitable for, uh, for doctrine, teaching, so on. So there are, there are things that, that we have in the Bible that actually would instruct us on how we should live, how we should operate. All right? Uh, I'm going to go to 1 Timothy uh, and, and read a couple of Scriptures in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and uh, verses uh, 1 through 4. Very simple. Oh, I'm in 2 Timothy. That's why it didn't look right. First Timothy chapter 2. If I, had my, if I had a little thing in here that would just open the right page, it would be good. Therefore, I exert, exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. All right? First exhortation is pray, supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks for kings and for all who are in authority. One of the things about how to get along with everybody, if you've got people that are in leadership, pray for them. That's the exhortation of Scripture, right? And the more you do that, the less likely you are to get into arguments. All right? Uh, for this is good and acceptable, excuse me, going back to verse 2, for kings and for all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. God actually intends for us, in the midst of government systems, world systems that are wacky, strange, not always where we think they should be, God still wants, to, uh, wants us to live peaceably in all godliness and reverence. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God who desires all men to be saved and, be, and come to the knowledge of the truth. The point I'm making there is that while we live peaceably, it is actually the plan and intention of God that even kings and people in authority and people who are from a different planet or whatever they, wherever they got their ideas, God actually has a desire that they could be won to, to the favor and the love of God. That's God's plan for them. So while we're praying for them, we also know that God would like them to be saved. That's, that's what he has us here for, right? All right, then going over to chapter 3 uh, and uh, verse 14 and 15 of the same chapter, it's, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, is saying, I, I write this to you, I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God that you would know how to conduct yourself. There's instruction about how to conduct ourselves. All right, that's, that's what I'm really trying to say. Uh, in chapter 5 of the same book, we read, here's, here's a little behavioral comment. Um, Do not rebuke an older man. Uh, let me just, just check. How many actually believe that's, that's good? You believe that's good? 
That verse? Uh, three of you do. Okay. Do not rebuke an older man. It's a very simple comment. There's a, there's a value factor here about how to treat older people. Now, I'm 73, so I, you know, I'm coming into that age where, you know, <laughs> now this is not about me. This is about how to behave with other people, right? There is something in God that has to do with respect for older people. And when any society and any culture loses it, they have lost some valuable things. Okay? Secondly, he says, uh, don't rebuke an older man. Exhort him as a father. Exhort him the way you would exhort a father, which would be done in delicate phrases in such a fashion that you're not bringing forth rebuke. And then it says, and younger men as brothers. Uh, not kid brothers, as brothers that you're arm in arm with. When they're younger than you, treat them as though they're just as valuable as you and their, their place is a significant one as well. The older ones, don't rebuke them, uh, but exhort them as you would a father and the younger as brothers. And then it goes on to say, for the older women, as mothers and younger women as sisters with all purity. There is a very clear sense in which the Word of God would instruct us in, in behavior toward other people. When they're older than you, treat them like you would a mother. Um, sometimes my wife and I have used this little comment. When you see older people driving a car and you're not quite sure that they're fully aware of what they're doing, there are a number of ways in which people respond sometimes. And so there was a certain point in time when my wife and I, and this is quite a few years ago already, we thought, okay, what if that was my mother? What kind of words would I use about that driver? You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if you actually treated older women as mothers in an appropriate fashion, it would take a whole lot of the steam out of you, and you would have a different kind of compassion and care, right? I mean, it's, it's actually quite simple, but it, it's really very helpful, all right? Uh, so we're, we're talking about uh, learning how, <laughs> how to get along. I'm going to tell on somebody. <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you his name, and he lives in another country, but I've been with him on the European autobahns. And this, this fine man, who's a godly man of prayer, he is very steamed over a lot of drivers. And so anytime I think about this, I think about him, okay? I'm just telling you, I, I, I know these verses are for some other people, you know? <laughs> just thought I'd mention it. Um, now, I'm going to really, really be dabbling into something here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we have a series of verses that just will knock your socks off, okay? So get your Bibles open and catch this story and uh, make sure your shoes are properly tied so that their socks don't come off. Uh, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Okay? That's what he says. Don't keep company with them. Yet, I certainly did not mean that the sexually immoral people of this world, or the covetous, or the extortioners, or the idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. Are you tracking with me? He says, look, I'm giving you some instructions. This is how you should behave toward your Christian brothers and sisters in Christ. 
if they're involved in sexual immorality, you ought to be separating yourself from this is This is not good. However, he says, I'm not talking about the people in the world. See, we get steamed up over what Hollywood does. And I'm telling you, what, what has gone on in this land, uh, and I've lived long enough. That's one of the things, you know, you, you've lived long enough to get old, right? And, and, and uh, I have seen what used to be permitted on television back in the 50s and 60s. In the 50s, we didn't have a TV, but my friends did, so I went over and watched their TV some. <laughs> <laughs> And, and then I saw the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, and, and here we are where we, wherever we are now. And, and I, I stay up late enough in the evening that, some, you know, when everybody should be in bed after 8.30 or whatever it is that they are. Anyway, stuff that goes on on TV that you're thinking, what in the world is going on? I mean, blatant pornography of a, at a level that's just really bad. And the kind of words that people are using. You wonder what's going, in, going, going on here, all right? Now, the Word of God would tell us, as far as the world is concerned, they're in sin. You, you know, one of the things that we try to do, we have tried to make all the sinners live by our Christian code of conduct. It doesn't work. Legislating morality for people that aren't morally right with God doesn't work. And, and we, we're, we always appreciate every politician that would like to make some good rules that would be good for everybody. The fact of the matter is, if they're not Christians, they don't have the strength to do it, nor do they have the desire to do it. And so we're, we're barking up the wrong tree if we think that we can get Christians to adopt all of our codes of, or non-Christians to adopt all of our codes of life, right? Learning how to get along in a world where people who live immorally and do really base kind of stuff, if they're not Christians, in a sense, we don't have a whole lot that we can do to them to adjust it. And God wants us to live how? Peacefully and godly in that kind of a setting. That's my comment. Did you get it? If you got it, you can go home because the rest of us really just playing out this thing out farther. Uh, well, just stay with me. i got a couple more things. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. Now, we're, we're living in, in a conservative Mennonite and Amish country. And the idea of not eating with somebody, we, we understand that code. We've been around some of that stuff, right? And so I'm coming at this thing from the Scriptures here to say, okay, what is God saying to us? How does he want us to treat other people? How does he want us to function? And um, it goes on in the, in the next verses, you know, what have I to do with judging those who are outside? But now we're talking about people that are inside. There, there, is, a, there is a clear word to us about how to behave toward brothers and sisters in Christ whose lifestyle is just not in keeping with the Word of God. Now, let me add that everything I'm going to say this morning, well, I believe it, is not the whole story, okay? There's, there are other verses and more things to be said on it, and, and Matt will straighten you all out when I get, when I get done some other day. Uh, but in the meantime, let me go back to the book of Matthew, uh, because in Matthew we have a comment that would, would sound like maybe it has something to say about this. Matthew chapter 7 uh, and, and almost all people that don't memorize scriptures have memorized this one. Judge not that you be not judged. Uh, <laughs> if you've never heard that phrase, where have you been hiding? <laughs> judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment that you judge, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. I was delighted recently in our oldest son Michael's house in Indianapolis, and they've got seven kids, and they do Bible studies as a family, and and uh, my son Michael commissioned his oldest son Michael 
to, to prepare a lesson on judging. And so they had a Bible study, and, and uh, Michael John uh, II uh, gave this teaching and talked about the difference between being, what God says about judging and, and judging the other people in the world, judging other Christians, and how we ought to uh, get the speck out of our own eye and so on. Really a great lesson on the whole concept because to just take, uh, just take that verse at, at, at face value, don't judge and then you know, just walk away. If that's the only thing the, the Word of God said, then nobody would ever rebuke anybody for anything. And their Bible gives us a whole lot of teachings about what we should do, right? How many are still with me? How many got mad at me by now? Good. All right. Let's, let's keep on going then. Um, I, am, I am persuaded that um, the concept of being judgmental is a very common trait in the American church. I... I have a hunch that it's worse in America than in most countries. But that's just a hunch. I can't prove that. Um, first of all, I can't speak all the languages and really know what to do when I'm not around. But I do know that I've been around a whole lot in, in the American church, and, and I, I understand the concept of being judgmental toward other people. So, uh, by the way, I'm getting around to Romans 14. That's my real message. This is all preliminary. I'm, we're getting, down, getting there. Galatians chapter 6 would tell us that if you see a brother caught in a fault, you should restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, all right? We're talking about how mature Christians should treat other Christians who get caught in a problem. Seek to restore them in a spirit of meekness so you don't get sucked into the same thing yourself. John 13, Jesus says to his disciples in verse 34 and 35, I'm giving you a new commandment, love one another. And this is said just before he went to the cross. And the whole point is, he's, he says, by this people will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. When we get to Romans 14, the abiding principle of all of it, how to get along with people, is love. Love one another, and this will not only cover a multitude of sins, it will give us a pathway on how to respond, how to relate to other people. Okay, Romans chapter 14, we're going to go there. However... Before we get to 14, we're going to do 12, because in 12, we have another verse besides just the one that I said, and that is that uh, uh, as much as lies in you, be at peace with all, with all men. Um, and I like, I like my Jack Hayford uh, Spirit-Filled Life Bible and his notes. And Jack calls these verses, behave like a Christian. And I think that's really good. So I exhort all of you, Read Romans 12 with a perspective that says, okay, this is instruction how to behave. Behave like a Christian. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, none of this put on fake stuff, the real deal. Abhor what's evil and cling to what's good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. There is a word that I don't use very often. But it comes right out of this concept. Okay, did, did you get the, did you go what he said? Be kindly affectionate to one another uh, with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. <clears throat> the word is deference. Deference. To defer. And the principle is simply this. Uh, you have one position, somebody else has a slightly different position on, on matters, and while you're with them, you choose to forego some of your freedoms in order to not offend the other person. 
to defer to somebody else in order to live peaceably with people. Isn't that what the message is about today? How to get along with people? Learning how to defer to other people because, you know what? You really don't know everything. Now, maybe you already figured that out. I'm not sure. I was about 35 when I figured that out. My wife thought I, I thought I knew everything. I didn't really think I thought every, I knew everything, but some people thought that I thought I knew everything. <laughs> but God revealed it to me that I didn't. So it was clearer then. No, I'm, I'm actually being very serious when I say we can read and write. We have Bibles. We have all kinds of translations. And for the most part, when we read chapter 14, we all think I'm the mature one. He's talking about the mature Christian and the immature. And we're all the mature ones, right? That's why I said this message is really for, for your friends. They, they need to hear this. But uh, we, we think we're the mature ones. And we also feel like we've got things figured out. And so judgmentalism comes partly out of the fact that we, we are so smart that we think that we have the answers for other people as well. Let me, let me help you out a little bit, okay? Uh, <clears throat> in chapter 14. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. One believes that he may eat all things, and he who is weak eats only vegetables. You going to help me out here? Thank you, sir. All right. Now we're, now we're getting into the nitty-gritty here. I like steak. I, I like, um, I like uh, pork. Um, what did I have the other day? Um, pork tenderloin. Yes, I do. I like pork tenderloin. I, I also like pulled pork. Yes, we've been in the South. We've learned a little bit about pulled pork uh, and, and, and so on. In fact, jokingly, I tell people that I'm on the Atkins side. Just, you know, just give me meat and I'll be fine. Uh, and my wife thinks that salads are the real deal. Okay. One believes him he eat all things. Uh, he who is weak eats only vegetables. And I love that verse because it says the one that eats it says uh, only vegetables, he's weak. <laughs> I mean, that's what it says, right, Janice? I mean, it's, it, to me, it's pretty clear. <laughs> um, and, and therein, of course, lies my problem. <laughs> Let's read a little farther, and we'll come back to it. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Friends, I, I confess freely to you that I have uh, uh, I've been reading Romans 14 and 15 for several months, over and over. God said, I want you to read it. I want you to reread it and reread it and get as many translations you can get and read it and see if you can come to the bottom of this thing because I recognized fairly quickly, and when the Holy Spirit points it out to you, then you have no problem with it. When I point it out to you, you might say, well, that's Vic's idea. But when God talks, then you'll probably say, it's all right. I read this, and I know that I am one who has been in the camp of despising those who don't eat. Another verse says they hold them in contempt. Vegetarians and if there's any vegetarians in here, I apologize. I have held that in contempt. I thought, they just don't know what's good for them. They don't know how to eat good food. And the Bible tells me very clearly 
that to hold them in contempt, even though the Bible clearly tells us that, that from God's standpoint, you can eat any of the foods, any of the meats, it's all, it's all good. That's what he says. Nevertheless, to hold people in contempt who choose to be vegetarians is just as wrong as for the vegetarians to judge those who eat meat. And I always read it from the standpoint, I thought, okay, I'm the mature one, I can eat meat, God says it's okay, and those poor suckers over there, they just don't know what's good for them. And recognizing my error in holding them in contempt. Because from God's standpoint, that contempt is as bad as the judgment that somebody else might hold on me on something. And so, got to work it through this and thought, okay, how many other things have I been doing that I really wasn't paying attention to. I'm really not on God's page. Just because I think I'm on God's page eating pork if I want to, doesn't mean that my attitude is always right. Are you with me? There, I've, I've met Christians who will eat beef, they'll eat chicken, but they don't eat pork. And, uh, and some of them will go to great lengths to explain why they don't, and, and that's all fine. But the whole point is, if you want to learn to get along with people, you need to get into this place where you say, you know what, I want to be on God's page on this one. Uh, because God's page, quite honestly, comes right out in verse 17. The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I just gave you the punchline. That's, that's, the, that's the end of the story right there. It's not about salads and vegetables and beef and pork and fish and chicken. It's not about food. However, it might be about wine. Let's see, I think there's a verse in here about wine. Um, yes, it's good to neither eat meat nor drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. That's verse 21. There are some who would, who would freely choose to drink wine, others who say, nope, we don't do it. Let me give you a little story. I understand, and we lived in the South now for these last 17 years in the sort of what's called the Bible Belt, and there's a lot of Baptists that have a very, very clear and strong code. Drinking wine, drinking alcohol is wrong. And I, um, I have lived with people. I've traveled internationally. I've been with people in Argentina, and I've been with them in Switzerland and Europe and many countries where people will choose to drink wine with a meal. And, um, and so I want to tell you, I want to tell you that I've, I've seen this story from a number of different angles. And when I first saw the uh, rather rampant view of having wine with a meal in Europe, I was taken aback. I thought, okay, there's probably a few people that do it here and there, but it seemed in Europe almost everybody was doing it. And then I heard their perspectives of Americans, and they held us in contempt. They thought, you bumbling American idiots, you really don't know very well about this stuff. You just don't know what's good for you. And I thought, hmm, let's see. What am I going to do with that one? Uh, because I was more inclined to be on the other side. I'm, I'm going to judge others. and I, I'm, I'm going to hold people in contempt that are sort of, you know, don't have the same freedom that I had. And now here's somebody that's got some freedom that I don't have. What am I going to do with this one? Anyway, um, I remember... As a young man growing up, I drank some wine uh, 
as a Canadian hockey player, somebody convinced me that it was probably healthy for my body to have a little wine about 11 o'clock after being out in 20 below zero in an outdoor hockey rink for a couple hours and breathing in that wonderful, clean, fresh air. And uh, so I, I had a little bit of wine once in a while, and I, I didn't think there was anything bad or wrong with it. But around the age of 20, I was a youth leader in our church, and I decided that I've got younger brothers and friends in the youth group that may not have my restraint on alcohol, and for the sake of others, I would not buy any more alcohol. I would not buy any more wine or have that. And I didn't uh, for about 40 years. Uh, during that time, I traveled in other countries and had a little bit of wine with people in different countries from time to time when they had it at their meals, but I didn't really have any. Uh, interestingly, uh, my brothers at home, uh, whatever I was trying to do didn't work. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they make their own wine. They, they're just really into it. They, they love their wine. <laughs> um, but I didn't. And, and I also spoke out about alcohol and drunkenness, which is, and, and, and all I did was, I remember when we were starting to raise our kids and, and I was reading the statistics of how many people die on the highways with, because of drunkenness and, and really thought that the level of drunkenness that we have in this country is extraordinarily bad and whatever we can do to discourage people from, from getting drunk is good, so staying away from alcohol is probably a good idea. And I did for the most part until I was 60 years old, and at the age of 60, I had a really strange experience. Now, some, here's, here's where some of you got to hang on a little bit. I'm 60 years old. I'm walking the streets of Portsmouth, Virginia, and uh, praying like I like my, I go for an hour morning walks, and I like to pray, and, and I said, Lord, I'm, I'm 60, and is there anything that I should know at this age that would be good for my health, anything that you would like to say to me? And I honestly didn't think I was going to hear from God. I just thought I wanted to let God know I was open because maybe some well-meaning friends would tell me, you know, what you ought to do, you ought to start eating less or whatever they were going to tell me. I just wanted to be open to whatever God had to say. You understand? You ever been that open with God? Say, God, just, you know, instruct me a little bit. How, how am I supposed to live? So I'm walking and praying and, and, and all this. And as I'm walking and praying, I, I hear a voice that sounds like the Holy Spirit says, drink a little wine. Um, and I thought, Mm. Is that really, really God? And I, and I heard it again. And when I heard it, if for me it was very simple. Drinking a little wine meant a little bit, half a glass once in a while. Not every day or every week, but a little bit of wine. And I thought, you know, I've heard some people say that's probably healthy for your body. I didn't know. But anyway, I really wasn't expecting to hear that from God. And my wife grew up a little bit different than I. She didn't play hockey and she didn't get that kind of weather, and she didn't have alcohol growing up, and in, in her book, it was like a bad thing. Sinners do that. And so I said, well, Lord, <coughs> if that's very really true, maybe you have to help my wife with this one. She, she might have a bit of a problem with it. So I'm, I'm praying about that, and just... Anyway, I told my wife about a week later. It took me that long to have the nerve to tell her. <laughs> and, and basically, she said, whatever, you know, didn't care one way or another. Here's what happened. In the next six weeks, I traveled to at least three different countries on missions, and I was with missionaries and church leaders that I had visited before over the last 40 years in a variety of different ways. We had never, ever talked about alcohol in any meaningful length of conversation. 
First one was my wife and I went to a friend's house that had invited us over to their house many times before, and we stayed overnight with them. They had a hot tub. They said, hey, come and enjoy the hot tub. About 10.30 that evening, they said, we hope you don't get offended, but my wife and I drink a little wine before we go to bed, and so we just thought we'd let you know. We, just, we don't want you to be offended, but this is what we do. And I listened to them give their spiel, and I thought, hmm, I'll have a little with you. And I told them what I felt like the Lord was telling me. I went to another country. People I was with, 10.30 that evening, they said, we hope you don't get offended, but my wife and I have a little wine before we go to bed. And again, song and dance about they want to be apologetic about it and didn't want me to be offended. Went to another country, same story. Four times it happened in the course of the next six weeks. And I thought, this is really interesting. This just might be God. Uh, and I'm not here to tell you anything because I can't give you a Bible verse about it, except I went to my kids. And I said to my sons and my daughter, I said, have you ever heard me preach that drinking wine, just any amount of wine, is a sin? Have you ever heard me preach it? Because I said, if I have, I, I need to correct you or correct myself. And they said, no, Dad, we've never heard you say that. And they also knew that I wasn't a drinker, so it was like a big topic. But I said, no, I don't think so. I said, well, this is what I feel like God's saying to me. And so I may, from time to time, actually get a bottle of wine and may have a little bit of wine. And, and to this day, I continue from time to time to have a bit of wine. I don't really go very far with it. And there are often times when it goes for a month or two that I don't have any. I'm saying that simply to say, I want to be walking in harmony with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want to be standing on some kind of a corner saying, the length of your hair, the kind of clothing you wear, or the kind of food that you eat is where I categorize you. I want to be in a place where I'm getting along with people and not being judgmental of others, but making room for some differences. Again, I went to Jack Hayford's notes on this thing, and he talks about non-essentials and about how significant it is for us to not get too harsh or hard on any one detail along the way. We have to move on. In verse 5, it says, One person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, that verse and the verse before are a problem for me. Because when I went into preaching back when God called me and, and I started preaching, <clears throat> as far as I was concerned, I like things black and white. It either is right or it's not right. And this let everybody be convinced in his own mind. It's like, wait a minute now. This is a bit too loose for me. Are you tracking with me? That's what the Bible says, though. And so I thought, okay, evidently I am more harsh than God is on these matters. You ever found yourself there? I am more harsh about this than God is. This, God doesn't seem to mind it nearly as much as I do. This is a bit of a difficulty for me. I've got to learn to adjust to a God mindset on this, all right? For instance, one day, one, uh, now the Jewish people, by the way, uh, you know, the Old the New Testament church was built amongst, amongst Jewish people, and they had their holy days, and they were, had a whole lot of them. They were very, very important to them. They, they didn't have our kind of calendar. They have a they have a lunar calendar. It goes by the moon. Every new moon starts a new month, right? And, and that's a big day for them. Uh, they would have special festivities. And they had, they had a lot of things during the course of the year that were part of their, their thing. 
Well, for us, for instance, there were people that celebrated Christmas. And I was one of those people that came along and said, you know what, I don't find that in the Bible anywhere that we're supposed to celebrate Christmas. We have instructions about his death and burial and resurrection and, and so on, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm so much on this Christmas thing. Well, some people think it's a huge deal, some think it isn't. And then people will fuss and argue about it. The thing I discovered over the years is, is that it didn't seem to bother God very much. What really convinced me that, that, that people celebrating Christmas wasn't all that bad is it didn't seem to bother God at all. There's God, God has blessed and anointed uh, Christmas services in a marvelous way, and, and whatever problems I may see, it doesn't seem to bother God that much. So I thought, you know what? I need to back off on that one. And, and so uh, that's just an area where I felt like I needed to make a bit of an adjustment on, on matters. Um, but here's what it says in verse 4. I'll back to verse 4 again. Who are you to judge another servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. There are people that I know of who are very legalistic on clothing, hair, outward appearance. And I read that scripture, and it would sound to me like God is saying, Vic, cool your jets. I can handle it. God is saying, people who are hung up on details, God is able to make them stand. Are you tracking with me? If I'm reading this correctly, it sounds to me like there are people who are quite legalistic, and God says to me, you know what, Vic, I didn't make you the boss. You don't really have to correct and straighten out all of those people. God is able to make them stand. And if that is actually what he is saying, then I can relax a little bit and say, okay, I know he wants all men to be saved, and I'm not going to back off from trying to preach the gospel, but I will back off from trying to get everybody to see it exactly the way I do on some of these issues that they think is so important. I mean, honestly, there are people who are, whether it's vegetarians or whether it's wine or whether it's clothing or whatever these factors may be, they are, they are very adamant on it. What am I supposed to do about that? And God says, relax, it's not your problem. All right? If you're tracking with me, that, that is what God's telling me, okay? Um, there's another one that people have made big fuss and argument about, and that's speaking in tongues. One of the reasons I got kicked out of one of the churches was for speaking in tongues, okay? Just thought I'd let you know. Um, let me, let me read to you out of the Bible regarding this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is not my favorite verse regarding tongues, but it is in the Bible. <laughs> and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. Yes, those of you who are really clear on this, you might want to refer to this verse as I read it. Uh, verse 29, 30, and 31. Are all apostles, are all prophets? And you know, you start off with that and say, well, obviously it's sort of like redundancy. You don't need to say it. It's, it's, it's obvious. They're not all apostles. They're not all prophets. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healings? No. You see, we've just read earlier in the chapter how God divvies out the gifts, different people, different kind of things. Okay. 
So we, we hear apostles and prophets and teachers and workers of miracles and healings. Do all speak with tongues is all of a sudden thrown in there. Do all interpret. And I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, the, the way this is written in good English, and I am an English teacher by trade, I read that and I'm saying he's given us, you know, one, two, three, four that we can agree with and then five. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Yes, we should all speak in tongues. I mean, the Bible says, I would that you all spoke in tongues, doesn't it? Okay, just thought I'd let you know. I read that verse too. However, the answer to this one is an obvious no. And I'll tell you what. 1967, when I first spoke in tongues, uh, it was a huge deal and it created lots of fuss. But over the years, lots of churches experienced so much problem with all these people speaking in tongues. They, some of them made adjustments and, and so on. And uh, in, in the meantime, the charismatic community became, uh, I mean, not from a, from a very small percentage of Christianity, became a very large part of Christianity. But the fact of the matter is, not all Christians speak in tongues. Now, it doesn't say that they shouldn't. In fact, in chapter 14, after giving some really, you know, nitty-gritty details, he says, and forbid not to speak with tongues. You know, there, are, there aren't very many behaviors like this that are specifically written out in the Bible, but that's one. Don't forbid to speak in tongues. It kind of was odd because I did a wedding in a Methodist church in Elkhart, Indiana, about 75 years ago. And, and the <laughs> I said about, didn't I? Okay. Long time ago. The pastor of the church was very concerned because he knew who I was and who we were, and we were going to use their building to, to do for this couple to get married. And, and the pastor came to me about everything we were doing. He says, he says Pastor, I, I have only one request, only one issue. Whatever you do, don't speak in tongues. And I thought, and the only thing the Bible says you don't forbid is speaking in tongues, and you're forbidding me to speak in tongues? What's this up with it? I said, don't worry, I don't normally do that in, in, a, in a wedding anyway. But anyway, just thought I'd mention it. Um, I'm getting down to the end here, fortunately. Romans chapter 14, and I want to go to verse 17 because that's, that's kind of where this all comes together. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not about little trivialities about which we should argue and fuss and dispute but it's about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say, He who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Hear that? All things indeed are pure, but it's evil for the man who eats with offense. It's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended, or is made weak. Going back to verse 15, if your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy for, with your food the one for whom Christ died. What he's calling us to is to love. I'm going to conclude with two comments. 
Uh, one of them is in uh, Matthew chapter 18. They asked Jesus one day, if your brother offends you, should you forgive him seven times? We all know that story, right? Jesus' response was, no, no, 70 times seven. In other words, forgiveness is a huge part of getting along with people. Forgiveness is a huge part of getting along with people. And I don't want to harp on it because that's the topic that deserves the whole, the whole morning. The other one is in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It says, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Arguing in order to try to get people on your page. God basically instructs us, hey, I didn't call you to disputing with others. I called you to work together with them in gentleness. And so I say to you this morning, um, there's a verse in chapter 15, verse 15, it says, Brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points. I was reminding you, and I thought, that's a really interesting verse. Paul has given some really practical details, and he says, I've, I've been kind of blunt with you on some of these matters, but that's because I'm choosing to be a servant of God. By the way, I asked Matt for permission to preach this message this morning. Gave him some details of what I was planning to preach on, and, and uh, he actually he made a reference, just like it says there in, in Romans 14. He said, you know, Vic, uh, you're a little older, and you can probably get away with saying some of this stuff. Because this is, these are talking about details about non-essentials. How to get along with people on the non-essentials. When people don't really see it quite the way you do, don't argue with them. God didn't make you the boss. And the amazing thing is God is able to make them stand. I mean, I'm thinking, yeah, I don't know, God, they, they, they think that the, the way to heaven is these clothes or these... God, surely. And God says, just, just relax. I, I want you to preach the gospel, but I don't want you to try to straighten out all the Christians to line up with you. And that's the word that God spoke to me. And I, I thought, I don't know. I just agonized over this message because I honestly wanted to share a life-giving word to you. But I, I believe that God is calling us to, to grow up in him in maturity in Christ. Jason, you got a song that can help us out? Uh, why don't you come up here? May I just say to you that I appreciate the friendship and the love that we experience here. And I desire very much to be a loving part of this body of believers as we are able to communicate with each other and share from time to time. And may God bless you as you go to Indonesia.